those words, last few words in that, in that uh, scripture from John chapter 20, peace be with you, are the very first words that Jesus Christ, uh, the resurrected uh, uh, Christ, spoke to his disciples. In fact, in this passage, you have a copy of the Bible, and my few minutes will be in John Gospel, John's Gospel, chapter 20. In the whole passage, which that came from, John chapter 20, if you read the whole thing, we're not going to read it, but actually three times Jesus says to his disciples, not once, but three times, peace be with you, verse 19, verse 21, and verse 26. And I think he does that because peace, is my subject this morning, is not only the heart, you might say, of what the gospel brings, right? I mean, it touches a lot of things in our lives, those of us who have experienced it. But the root, you might say, the, the fountain, the thing at the, at the very bottom that the gospel does is it brings peace. It's not only the heart of the gospel, but it is the need, or it's a way to talk about and describe the need, that the core need that the gospel really addresses, right? The very core need at the deepest part of who you are, who I am, that the gospel really touches is peace. Peace with God, which sometimes we don't even know that's what we are lacking. We don't know that's the source of the, let's say, the anxiety or the conflict within us. We, don't, we can't even identify it at times in our life. But it's the only thing that, that really, peace is, is, it's peace with God and a peace in ourselves with ourselves. In other words, there's a, there's a conflict, there's an anxiety at the core of who we are. We are in a manner of speaking. The book of James will say this. We are at war with ourselves, right? That's part of being a human being. You know, we have, we have issues with our family, we have issues with our friends, we have issues with, you know, with governments, countries, presidents, we have all these issues, but really our greatest conflict is really with ourselves. And the heart of the, the gospel is peace, and br peace brings peace with God and peace with ourselves. And let me say this, too, Easter Sunday, the Easter message, peace with God. It's a message every bit as much for Christians, if you're a Christian in this room today, as it is for non-Christians, which is what we learned uh, in, uh, in powerful fashion from the testimony of John and Donnell. Right? They're not new Christians. They didn't become Christians in the last two years, but what John said is, this is the first time, if you listen carefully, that I experienced the gospel message. Well, how does those two things go together, Pastor? That's the, that's the itch that I want to scratch in the few minutes that I have left. It's this. You might be a Christian. You might be, have received the forgiveness of your sins. But the question is, is there still places in your life, areas in your life, where you are still not at peace? See, the gospel is not a transaction. The forgiveness is not a one-off. It's about going into deeper places in your life. As Danelle said in that video, are you willing, am I willing to surrender greater parts of who I am? That's what John's telling you, right? Here's uh, the big idea of this message. You know, in this world that we live in, for all people, people of faith and not people, real peace is hard to come by, Okay? Real peace is hard to come by. And I would say this, to, to starting with myself in the mirror, that many of us, both in the church and outside of the church, we settle for a whole lot less, right? We don't work very hard or we're not very clear on where we find peace. Think about the disciples 
2, if you remember the words that were just read. This is the first moment where Jesus appears to the disciples. Now, there was a lot of people that had no idea who Jesus was and what happened when this you know, uh, rabbi was crucified on a cross. But these guys knew. Because if you read the Gospels carefully, Jesus said to them many times, in fact, three that we have recorded, I'm going to die, I'm going to be arrested. Yes, that's bad news, but I will rise from the dead. Now, that's a pretty big message, but he had said that to them. So when he was hanging on a cross, that should have been no surprise. And when he came, rose from the dead, it should have been no surprise. But where do we find the disciples, our champions, our heroes? On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together, and they were at a mountaintop having a party, they were at you know, uh, um, some you know, riverside throwing a bash, they were celebrating. No, they were in a closed room behind locked doors in fear of the Jewish leaders, right? Let me say, if all you had was the Gospels, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if that's all you had, and the disciples are the people who are, we're modeling our life after, you would conclude, I think, that being a follower of Jesus doesn't really make much difference in your life. Because although they knew Jesus, they knew who he was, they were largely short-sighted, self-focused, and full of anxiety and fear like a lot of us. But in this moment, three times in about ten verses, this kind of peace, right, this resurrection peace, it's not the kind of peace, this is what they're learning, I hope you're learning, I'm learning, it's not the kind of peace you make, right, I have an issue with you, you know, Ryan, let's make peace, it's not, that, it's not, it's not a peace you make, it's not a peace you broker, you know, between countries and, and you know, factions, it's not a peace, it's not, a, it's not one you make, it's not one you broker, in fact, it's not a peace you can find, right, in this world, right, like I'm going to find it, I'm going to find it in a new relationship. I'm going to find it in a new, you know, in a new, a new adventure. I'm going to find it in a new friend. I'm going to find it in a new drug, all right? It's not a peace that you find. Jesus said these words, which were coming alive, perhaps in this moment, John, to his disciples, a few weeks, months earlier, John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives, do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. That's what Jesus says, right? We're looking for peace. I would say this to many of us. We're looking for peace, even Christians, in the wrong places. This kind of peace. I'm talking about the real peace at the core of your being. Some of us have been Christians for a long time, but the truth is, if we're honest, when it comes to this area in our lives, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your own personal confidence, whether it's this gnawing anxiety, whether it's this, you know, this defeating this behavior of sin in your life, listen, it's never gone away. There's no peace there because we think still that we can find peace in other places. You will not find it, young people in this room. You'll not find it in a family, Okay? Some people, that's where I'm going to find my peace. I'm going to find my husband. I'm going to find my wife. I'm going to, I'm going to, you're not going to find it. You will never find it in your career. There are people in this room right now from, you know, doctors and professors and plumbers and everything, every kind of, and, I, and I, if I had the time, they'd, I could march some of them up here and they'd say, listen, I did it. I climbed the mountain, but they didn't find peace. You're not going to find it in a new relationship. You won't find it in a bottle, Okay. 
It can only be found, this kind of peace, real peace, in a person, the resurrected Jesus. And that person is the only person who has the capacity to deal with the underlying reason that's at the core of the lack of real peace, right? And it's not money, and it's not a new friend, and it's not a, you know, it's not a new thing. The underlying problem that keeps peace out of one's life, that's at the core of that sort of anxiety and, and conflict within, is our sin. That's the problem. And when you really get an understanding that sin is the real problem, right, at the heart of who you are, that's why it doesn't matter. You know, some people say to me, you know, I'm going to, they have these big ideas where well, I'm just going to get out of this marriage, I'm going to get out of this state, I'm going to get out of college, I'm going to get out of high school, I'm going to get out, and they think when, I, when they move, their problems are going away, right? I mean, how many of you have done that? And then you realize about a half a day later, the problem followed you, okay? <laughs> Let me say this. You say, Pastor, I've heard that before, you know. But let me say this. I don't want to minimize or, uh, some of our struggles that we have here. I would say this to you as a pastor, as a, as a Christian. There are things that happen in this world. Um, suffering. I'm talking about, you know, we could go down the list of the things that are going on in this world. That, you know, from, you know, large-scale uh, abuse to international conflict to you know, stuff in our own city, stuff in our own lives that I can say to you honestly, I don't have an answer for. I wish I did. But I have to say honestly, when I look at this or that, it seems like it's pointless, right? This kind of suffering seems pointless to me and I want to say, God, what gives? Maybe some of you want to say that. But I would also say, because a lot of people I talk to, that's why they don't want to think about the Christian message because they can't, God, there's too many unanswered, pointless suffering going on in the world. But I would say this. A great deal of the suffering in the world, a great deal of the suffering in the world can be explained by the choices that people make and don't make, by the choices that I make and don't make, right? A lot of it, in my life and in your life can be said there because sin is not simply, I don't know what your background is, doing wrong things. I didn't show up. I didn't pay. I, I cheated. I, I, I stole. Sin is not simply the wrong things that we do. Sin is the motivation. Sin is the fear. Sin is the selfish desires behind the things that we do and don't do, you see? When you think about it that way, you can see how deep the problem is. And the only person, the only way to deal with sin at that level, at the core part of your motivations and your fears, the only way to deal with that kind of sin is for your sin to be forgiven, right? You can't work it off, you can't wash it away, you can't medicate it, it has to be forgiven, it has to be atoned, that's a Bible word, it has to be paid for. And what this passage tells us, the real reason for the peace that's declared in this passage is that Jesus paid it all, okay? Jesus paid it all. Verse 20. John 20, verse 20. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine that? 
Imagine just being there. First he says, peace be unto you. Peace be to you. Peace to you. Or, my, or what does he say? Peace be with you. And then, that's shocking. And then he goes like this. And he shows them the scars in his hands and opens up his, his robe or whatever and shows them. Now, why does he do that? It's a very interesting thing. First thing is, you know, one thing for sure what he's saying is, um, I am your resurrected Lord. I'm the guy that you knew and found. I, it's not, you know, it's, uh, if, you, if the shoes don't give it away and the haircut doesn't give it away, you know, I am him. So one of it is just this, it's, it's so dramatic, it's so unbelievable, I want you to know that I'm him. Okay, it's a, it's a matter of, of proof. It's proof of life, I guess you could say. But there, that's not the only reason. Because it's only here that the disciples come to an understanding, maybe it's for us too, of what the real point, the real point, which they didn't get, they didn't understand, of, maybe, maybe some of us don't, of why the Son of God was crucified and why he needed to rise from the dead, right? Think about Jesus. If, if, you, if you're a Bible believer, it says this. If you're a Christian, we will, you know, this is, this is we, we will transfer from mortality to immortality, from corruption to incorruption, from this world, this broken world, to the kingdom of our Lord and the kingdom of our Christ, heaven and eternity, etc. Now, when we get there, the Bible says we have a new body, Right? I will have a new body. You will have a new body. And that body doesn't get old, doesn't get tired, it doesn't get gray hair, it doesn't get whatever the case may be. It's, it's eternal. It has eternal properties. And this is the body that Jesus has. But, I, but what's so strange about this, although Jesus can appear in a locked room, although Jesus can come and can go, if you read the Gospels, he does things that are beyond human limitations that tell us what this is like. He still has forever and ever and ever nail prints in his hands and in his feet and in his side. That seems very strange to me. But let me tell you, this is the heart of the message, okay? Why does he show his hands and his feet? You will never know. You will never know real peace until you can see in the handprints of Jesus, in the side of Jesus, your sins, your shame, your fears, and your failures. That's what he's saying, right? This is what the gospel's about. And that's why, by the way, it says, he showed them his hands, his side, and then they were overjoyed because then they got it, see? They understood what the gospel really was all about. Look at this passage. This moment is, is, is a fulfillment of a 700-year-old prophecy. Either turn with me or just listen. Isaiah 53. This moment waited 700 years to be fulfilled. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says this about the Messiah, Jewish Messiah. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace. It's not a bottle. It's not a new job. It's not a new relationship. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed that's the only place listen guys we, we we're on in some ways we're on top of the world that is to say we live in a western democracy okay we're on top of the world and some of the people in this room some of you drive fancy cars and have great lives and jobs and families it's wonderful thank god but even you don't have peace 
out in the things of this world. Even we're smart enough to know. By his wounds, we are healed. I watched an interview this, maybe it was two weeks ago, with the uh, young Pakistani, uh, I guess now she's a 20-year-old, was a teenager, uh, Malala Yousafzai. Anybody know who Malala Yousafzai is? 2012, she was... Um, just a teenager, 14 years old, and, but she had the wherewithal, the vision to speak out about girls' education, which you think women in our culture have it less than, get paid less, etc. Boy, you'd be glad you don't live in, in Central Asia or some other place. And in her case, as you know, and many of you know, in Afghanistan, or Pakistan, and she lives in the, in the Swat Valley, or she lived in the Swat Valley, girls couldn't go to school, barely, they couldn't vote. I mean, they're, they're second-class citizens. And she spoke out against, uh, not, not only did she speak out against, she got in front of microphones as a 14-year-old and pointed a finger at the Taliban, the, 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 the ruling power in that part of Pakistan, who was keeping young girls down. And somebody took a gun and shot her in the face. A 14-year-old girl. I mean, how cowardly is that? Miraculously, multiple surgeries, she survived. She went to the UK. As a 16-year-old, she won the Nobel Peace Prize. Said something. And now she's a student at Oxford, and, and, and she was interviewed. David Letterman, having a second career, I guess, uh, uh, interviewed her. And, and he asked her the question that probably many people asked. What do you think now about the people who did this to you? What's your, what's, your, what, what, what's your response? And she said, my response is I've chosen to forgive them. And she said these words, because the best revenge is forgiveness. That's something. A 20-year-old girl, she probably said that for the first time when she was younger than that. She looked the worst kind of crime, the worst kind of abuse, the worst kind of, of evil perpetrated on her, like someone shooting her in the face. Not for some evil wrong, because she was speaking out about education. She's, 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 um, you know has lifelong uh, uh, impairments because of that. And she said, revenge, the best revenge is forgiveness. But as I thought about that, I thought this is going to sound strange. That could apply to Jesus Christ in this moment, John chapter 20. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, I mean, sometimes we don't think about that. We forget that Jesus was not just the son of God. He was, this, he was, a, he was a human being, God in human form. He suffered in all ways like we, yet without sin. He was tired, he was lonely, he was hot, he was cold. He, he was all the things that you and I are. He, did he get his feelings hurt? Of course he did, right? Of course he did. And if just before this moment, the last time they saw Jesus, the last time Jesus saw the disciples, guess what he saw? They were heading for the hills. Jesus said this himself. The, sh the shepherd will be, uh, they will smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. As soon as the heat gets on me, not just Peter denied them, they all denied him and they all headed for the hills when Jesus was in his greatest hour of trial. They said goodbye. But in this moment, Jesus Christ doesn't say, where were you? Thanks for being there. Why, I thought you guys loved me. I thought you were with me. He doesn't say that because the best revenge is forgiveness. And he just says, listen, peace be unto you. I love you. 
And if you can see your failures, not just that one, but all of them, your sin, your shame, your anxiety, your fear, if you can see it here, this is the first day of the rest of your life. And they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. They'd heard these words before, but never like this. It was a new beginning because their sin had been paid for, their greatest fear, which is the fear of death, had been conquered, and now that peace could reach down and be screwed down into the deepest part of who they are. Has that happened to you? Last thing Jesus will say, another important phrase, receive the Holy Spirit, verse 21. Receive the Holy Spirit. Again, Jesus said, because they haven't quite grasped it yet. Peace be with you. As the Father hath sent me, I am sending you. Wow. You've only been back five minutes and you're giving us a new job, right? And with that, though, don't miss this. He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they will be forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, in a sense, what are all those fancy words? This is the start of the church. It's the disciples are standing for the church. And the, and the church has really one assignment, one purpose, one you know, reason for existence, and that is to preach the forgiveness of sins. And what that fancy language of verse 23 says is this, is the church's job is to do one thing, preach the forgiveness of sins. Some people will receive it, some people won't. But you can't do it. They were fearful. They were, they were anxious. They were, um, you know, behind locked doors without the Holy Spirit. See? That's what John and Donnell are telling you. He's saying, it's as if in this area of my life, I'd never experienced the gospel message. See? That's true for a lot of people in this room. See, it's the Holy Spirit Receive the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that's the agent that takes the truths of God, even simple ones like God loves you, God cares about you, right? God knows you, the airy hairs of your head. Things that you intellectually believe, but your anxiety level tells me you don't actually believe them, right? And your marriage isn't reflective of these truths. Your, your, your anxiety level isn't reflective of these truths. They're actually not, it doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you haven't opened yourself up. You haven't believed that those, the gospel for this area of your life. You need to receive the Holy Spirit. And my prayer for every person in this room is, right, that, that, that you will receive the Holy Spirit that is, you'll invite him into some area of your life where you have had long-lasting defeat, where you've had shame that you've not been able to shake, where you have a, a, you know, a particular anxiety or a conflict. You say, boy, most of my life is okay, but not this area. Well, guess what? Today's the day, or it could be. That's what John and Donnell are telling us. I had to listen to a... Um, a uh, interview uh, week, maybe a week or two ago, radio interview with a guy named Bart Ehrman. And Bart Ehrman is a scholar, a religious history scholar, perhaps, if those of you who care about this kind of stuff, probably the most well-respected um, scholar of, 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 of Christian history that we have alive today, he teaches at Duke University. 
But in the interview, some of you may have read some of his books, he was born, was in a Christian home, went to Wheaton College, some of you know that. But while he was in college and in those years, he lost his faith. Well, this is a 20-year-old story. But he's, he's, he shared this story. He says, well, I lost my faith. And so the interview, but he still is a, histor- he's a historian of religious history. And they asked him, and they said, listen, she said, let me get this straight. Uh, Dr. Ehrman, you don't believe Jesus is the son of God anymore. You don't believe he rose from the dead. You don't believe in the miracles. He said, yes, I don't. But I'm fascinated by this and it's been my life's work. And he, but he, the book he just wrote, just was published, is called The Triumph of Christianity. And she said, I have a question for you. I'm just interested to know if you don't believe these things, aren't you kind of sending the wrong message? And he laughed and he said, well, my scholar buddies told me they thought that too. Like, you know, you're kind of sending a wrong message. But he said, it's, I decided to call it that anyway because even though I don't believe in, these, in the miracle part of the Christian faith, he said, as a historian, it is undeniable that the Christian faith is an idea, is a mega idea over the course of history in 2,000 years has triumphed in 300 years from the time of Jesus. It covers the entire Roman Empire, paganism as a true religion basically came to an end in the first couple centuries and all the great hospitals and the universities he went on to say, it's undeniable, it doesn't matter what you believe as a historical reality, Christianity is triumph. And I thought to myself, boy that's so interesting, I want to know more. So I said I'm going to go, I want to read, I don't want to buy the book but <laughs> I want to read it so I went to Barnes and Noble and I I, I uh, I don't often do that, you know, because I, I just, I just, but I sat down in there for a while, and people do that all the time, and I, and I started reading the book. And I didn't read the whole thing, but I was there doing other things, too. And, and a couple hours later, four or five hours later, I'm at my house, and I reach into my briefcase, and there's the book, which I didn't buy, okay? <laughs> so uh, I did take it back, and uh, fortunately, I wasn't recognized. But um, <laughs> here's the point. I tell you that story right? Receive the Holy Spirit. I think if Bart Ehrman was here today, we're doing a little, little interview, I think some of you, maybe a majority of you, might walk away and go, Bart Ehrman knows more about Jesus than our pastor does. Maybe. He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a recognized scholar. I, I would imagine is fluent in, in Greek and Hebrew, and he probably, uh, he might outdo me. But here's the problem. Those truths have not been activated in his life. Those truths have, the resurrection is like a detonation and it brings the truths of the gospel alive in your life. And unless that's happened, you got, the Christian faith ain't going to do a darn thing for you. Okay, That's what we're talking about. That's what John and Donnell are talking about. And my prayer for every person in this room, even those of you who've been Christians for 30 years, 40 years, whatever the case may be. Maybe you grew up in a Christian home, but you're honest. If you were very honest with me right now or with your, the closest person, if you say, listen, I've lived a defeated life. I've let confidence, I've let this anxiety, I've let this sex addiction, this drug addiction, this whatever the case may be. This has been my secret ankle weight my whole life, even though I'm a Christian. Listen, it's not the gospel's fault. I talk to people all the time. Oh, I used to go to the church. I liked it, and you know, but, but this disappointment, that disappointment, the church, I'm not interested anymore, like Bart Ehrman. Let me tell you something. The gospel hasn't changed. The power hasn't gone out of it. You just haven't applied it to that area of your life. What John and Donnell said is, listen, it is as if, as if, in this challenge they faced, I experienced the gospel for the very first time. Where do you need it? Where do I need it? Right? And lastly, let me say this. To anyone in this room who's, who's not a Christian, 
You say, well, how do I know I'm not a Christian? Nothing to do with whether or not you go to church. The disciples are good examples of that. But if you'd say, honestly, pastor, whether you've been in church a thousand times or, or two times, you'd say, I don't know true peace, the kind of peace that makes me know I'm at peace with God. There's nothing between he and I. And that inner conflict, that inner anxiety, that gnawing conflict that I take with me even on vacation, that is still there. In a, in, it's a driving force in my life. I'd say, perhaps you're not a Christian. But the good news is, all you need to do is receive it. One last verse, same gospel, John 1, 11 and 12. He came to his own, to that which was his own, talking about the people, so that's us, but his own did not receive him. They said, no thanks. All we like sheep have gone astray, right? And we all said, no thanks. I'll do it on my own. Yet to all who did receive him, that's the meaning of the 23rd verse, right, of John 20. Those who are going to be forgiven, they're forgiven. Those who are not forgiven are not forgiven. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. doesn't matter the color of your skin. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter what country you're from. It doesn't matter what you did last night. All who believe have the right to become the children of God. Right? When you choose to receive Jesus... When you surrender whatever it is that's controlling your life, it's an act of faith. You can't make your struggles go away. When you choose to receive Jesus, at the same time, you choose to surrender what's controlling you or what you're trusting to save yourself. At the same time you receive Jesus, the Bible says, you receive the Holy Spirit, right? Receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit takes these truths and screws them down and makes them real in your life. That's the message of Easter. Amen? So let's pray. We're going to be done. Everyone just head bowed, eyes closed. We're just going to pray, sing a song, and we're, and we're done. But let me say this first. If you're a Christian, let me just for a minute address anyone who's a, who's a, who's a Christian, like me in this room. You're, you're, you're a Christ follower. And you'd say, you know, Rob, I'm the, I'm the person that has um, kind of like John and Donnell. I've been a Christian for a long time, but honestly, there is an area, areas or an area in my life where I'm defeated. There's an area in my life where I have given up a long time ago. I've decided there's no hope here. Maybe it's your marriage, maybe it's your career, maybe it's your relationships, maybe it's, maybe it's confidence, maybe it's some besetting sin, I don't know what it is. What I would encourage you to do is receive the Holy Spirit. Simply in the quiet of this day, even in this moment, acknowledge it to God and, 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 and receive it. And if, if that's your story, if that's your truth, I want you to raise your hand where you are. No one's looking around but me. I just want to pray for you. Just raise your hand wherever you are in this room. There's something, yes, thank you, across the room. Just throw your hand up, put it down. There's an area in my life that I want to receive real peace that I haven't had it before. Now, if you're not a Christian, thank you, by the way, every one of you, and you'd say, I, I'd like to receive the gospel for the very first time. All you need to do is ask for it. To as many as believed in his name, he gave the power to become a child of God. 
So I want you to pray this prayer with me, okay? In the quiet of your own seat, in your own words, okay? Pray this prayer. Dear God, thank you for loving me so much that you sent your son Jesus to be pierced for my transgressions, to be punished for my sins. I receive Jesus. I receive the Holy Spirit. Make me a child of God. If you prayed that prayer, I'm the only one with my eyes open, just flip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Just flip it up all across. Just flip up high and put it down. I want to pray for you. Father, I thank you for every person in this room. I thank you for your amazing love, the amazing message of Easter, which allows us to experience a kind of peace that nothing else in this world brings. We open our lives to you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's join. Let's celebrate the victory we have in Christ. Thanks for making me cry. Oh. <laughs>